Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. to the Explaining History podcast and today I want to look at the involvement of Japan in the First World War but I want to look at more than that. I want to go back to 1902 and look at the uh, origins of the Anglo-Japanese alliance which really draws Japan into the First World War and I think it's important to look at Japan's involvement not because Japan was a, a major contributor to the fighting, because in comparative ter- terms, Japan wasn't, but how Japan uses the chaos of the First World War to its advantage. Uh, the great prize, as far as Japan was concerned, but unfortunately for ja- Japan, also as far as the USA was concerned, was China. Both powers had different designs on China. The Japanese looked at China as a source of abundant raw materials and the Americans looked on China as an enormous market for America's goods. And the fact that um, Japan and America both struggled to obtain these objectives was due to the fact that China had been de facto colonised throughout the uh, 19th century from the 1840s onwards by Great Britain France, um, Russia, and to a lesser extent the other European powers. A series of unequal treaties from 1842 onwards with the Treaty of Nanjing had um, allowed Britain particularly, but also France, to economically penetrate China in ways that had never been possible before. The British really had the run of the Yangtze River Valley uh, going deep into central China, And, of course, treaty ports along the coast, such as Shanghai and the possession of Hong Kong. So the the use of gunboats had uh, achieved for Britain the kinds of uh, market share that America always hoped to emulate and uh, later eventually would do. Uh, America dreamt of what they called the open-door policy to China, and this had been an ambition for most of the 19th and part of the 20th century, until finally in the 1930s, America virtually obtains this, and this uh, around for a very brief period of time before, and from 1937 onwards, Japan intervenes militarily to stamp its control on China permanently. 
Japan, a relatively resource-light uh, chain of islands that had a growing population, an increasingly urbanised population after the Meiji Restoration period, and a population that had aspirations to higher living standards and a result of the kind of development of modernity in Japan. And it was a culture that believed it had a need to expand and a right to expand. The Japanese looked on in horror at China and the chaos that ensued in China as a result of uh, quasi-colonisation and also China's difficulties with the processes of modernization. Japan is the model in Asia for um, the development of modernization, modern industry, bureaucracy, and military reforms after the 1860s, whereas China really struggles. And the entrenched power of the bureaucratic class, the Chinese mandarins, uh, meant that it was really difficult for things such as the self-strengthening movement um, to bed in. Um, if you're curious at all, I've done a podcast on the self-strengthening movement a couple of months ago when I was uh, bogged down in the midst of writing a textbook on China. Uh, so you can always check that out and maybe look at the comparisons between the, the, uh, the two processes. So anyway, yes, it's a, a rather roundabout way of saying that at 1914, presents Japan with an opportunity to take the kind of slice of China that had always been uh, sought after, uh, that had been stymied by other imperial powers, and that uh, America uh, was increasingly uh, alarmed about. But before we get there, let's go back to 1902. So in 1902, Britain is in the midst of what we would call the uh, era of splendid isolation that is uh, coming to an end. And the um, example of the end of splendid isolation that people always look to is the Entente Cordiale with France. You know, Britain and France, the two old enemies, shaking hands finally and agreeing to come to a series of territorial accommodations in Africa and military understandings, and the reason for this obviously is the uh, rise in the belligerence of Germany and the assumption that Germany is this uh, existential threat to both nations. A far more uh, interesting example of Britain's end in uh, the period of splendid isolation in um, uh, issuing uh, continental or um, uh, global alliances is the 1902 Anglo-Japanese alliance. There are these two uh, imperialist, expansionist islands um, with growing populations, developing industries. Now, Britain's obviously far further down the road than Japan um, that seem on, on the surface to kind of have to be in interesting mirrors of, uh, of one another. Um, on the other side of the world from each other, forming uh, a naval alliance and forming a, an alliance that, when you actually look at it on paper, doesn't quite offer either of them the full uh, level of protection and security uh, that they're seeking. So how does this come about and why? Well, Britain had observed that not only was there an increasingly belligerent uh, Germany, but Russia had gone through a period of military modernisation and was uh, ever more assertive in Asia. 
and the question of Russian expansion, of uh, Japanese expansion, and of British interests in China and Southeast Asia uh, needed to be resolved. The British knew that they potentially could face a coalition of uh, uh, France, Russia, and even a, a um, Franco-German, Franco-Russian rapprochement if they weren't careful. And whilst Britain maintained the two-power standard, uh, that it would be able to fight the two next largest navies, which were normally France and Russia. A three-power standard was even beyond the abilities of the Royal Navy to deal with. And a three-power standard was what would be pre um, needed should Germany decide to wage a naval war on Britain in concert with one or two other continental rivals. So in order to take the pressure off the overstretched Royal Navy, the uh, desire of making a good friend in Asia, and there was only one that would be a possible contender, i.e. Japan, um, was, uh, well, was one that was well supported in Britain's more jingoistic press. The Times and the Telegraph um, cheered for the idea of an agreement with Japan going back to the 1890s. And the Japanese press also uh, made a good case for uh, an agreement with Great Britain. Um, the British were greatly admired in Japan for their naval prowess and there were Japanese nationalists that saw the example of what Britain had been able to achieve uh, in Asia and saw that as a kind of a blueprint for Japanese success as well. So there was a kind of some sort of mutual uh, admiration between the two. And they share a mutual enemy, Russia. Um, and from 1895 onwards, following the uh, successful conclusion, as far as Japan was concerned, of the First Sino-Japanese War, um, the, uh, there, there are moves in British political circles and in uh, British um, diplomatic and also the media circles and, and newspaper circles to find some kind of arrangement with the Japanese. So the idea was to try to stop, uh, to check really, Russian expansion in Asia which threatened British commercial interests. And Japan feared it actually, itself actually um, losing territory to Russia and the crossroads between uh, Russian ambitions and uh, Japanese ambitions was, of course, Korea. From the 1890s onwards, mainly because of the, the sheer incompetence of Nicholas II's government, tensions over... Uh, career flare up uh, out of control. The Japanese, uh, in fairness, are relatively conciliatory. They attempt to uh, resolve tensions over Korea and invite Russia to a number of conferences. Russia has commercial interests in Korea, mainly mining and logging, uh, but Russia obviously stations troops there as well. This is intolerable to the Japanese, considering that their victory over China in the uh, Sino-Japanese War gave them virtual free access to Korea as a, a de facto colony. And promises by Russia uh, following negotiations to leave Korea and to recognise Korea as part of the Japanese sphere of influence go uh, unhonoured. Uh, the Russians have no intention of moving their troops and Nicholas II and his government 
were completely unaware of the extent to which Japan was being antagonised by this. And Nicholas II is shocked, stunned and appalled and amazed when there is a surprise attack on uh, Russian uh, territory at Port Arthur in 1904. And this is followed, followed up, obviously, in early 1905 with the destruction of the Second Russian Fleet at the Battle of Tsushima, which is considered to be one of the most rapid, devastating and successful uh, naval attacks uh, in history. It, it was ranked at the time up there with the Battle of Trafalgar and the influence and the impact of the defeat of Russia at the Battle of Tsushima Kind of reverberates. Now, again, I did a podcast on this one, must be last year sometime. Uh, the significance of the Battle of Tsushima is not to be underestimated by any stretch of the imagination. The British managed to stay out of the Russo Japanese War, partly because Russia's ally now is France, and the British were keen not to get into a European war over issues that had no consequence to them uh, emanating from Korea. The wording of the Anglo-Japanese Treaty was that if uh, one party was attacked by two great powers, so if Japan was attacked by both France and Russia, then the British would be obliged to intervene, and vice versa. In the event, the Japanese don't really need Britain's help anyway, and they... uh, roundly devastate uh, Russia and humiliate a European power, which is a kind of a great existential crisis, not just for Russia, but also for many Europeans who believe themselves to be innately superior to uh, any power or any peoples in Asia. The 1902 treaty, as far as the British were concerned, was merely a warning to Russia that they were taking seriously uh, the threat of Russian expansion in Asia. But Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As far as Japan went, it meant something more. It was recognition of Japan as a great power, and it was an endorsement of Japan, and it encouraged in the Japanese government more martial voices to be emboldened and encouraged a more um, nationalistic and more warlike attitudes, knowing that there was the potential of an ally if it came to it. And also this encourages even more moderate politicians in the Japanese diet to be less likely to compromise over the question of Korea. 
Now, interestingly, the British chose never to get involved in um, Korea and never to necessarily support a Japanese claim over Korea, just as the Japanese were reluctant to become involved in the defence of British India. Now, there's a number of reasons for that, not least because one sort of strain of liberal Japanese nationalism, we're all too inclined to look at Japanese nationalism in the 19th and 20th centuries uh, and draw the conclusions of the Second World War, but there were actually strands on uh, liberal Japanese nationalism, just as there are strands of liberal European nationalism that are, by the 1880s, effectively snuffed out, um, that saw Japan's role in Asia as being something quite progressive. The um, example of Japanese moder uh, modernization during the Meiji Restoration, the development of a parliament and the development of uh, modern civil society, was something that Japan felt it had the right and even the duty to champion across Asia. And the ridding of Asia eventually of European colonizers and expropriators was something that uh, Japan saw itself as having a historical mission to do. The fact that when this ultimately happens in 1941-42, uh, that uh, Japanese colonisation and exploitation of its territories is far more brutal and ruthless than even the most imaginative European imperialists could have dreamt up, uh, unfortunately uh, puts a, a, a dampener on this um, more noble and laudable uh, perspective. But because this tradition in Japanese nationalism existed, it was difficult to make a, a full alliance with a European imperialist power who had subjugated not just India, but Burma, Malaya, Singapore, and had influence all across China. A rising star Asian nationalist power that has effectively experienced a political and social revolution leading to an economic revolution in the mid-19th century and that was motivated out of fear of the prospect of um, European or American uh, economic and even political col and social colonisation could not readily be uh, able to justify a uh, relationship with a colonising power whereby that relationship involved uh, collaboration and cooperation in the defence of that colonisation. Finally, however, after 1905, the British, who had become quite alarmed at the fact that the Japanese were happy to host uh, Indian nationalists and nationalists from other parts of British-controlled Asia, um, decided that they were willing to compromise with Japan on the question of Korea and actually support uh, Japanese claims to Korea. And at this point, uh, Jap Japan's uh, cooperation with Asian nationalists um, who were dedicated to ridding their countries of British control goes into steep decline. Though this, of course, in the 1920s and 30s uh, when relations had soured between Britain and Japan would be resurrected uh, to great effect as far as the Japanese in the Second World War would later be concerned. So with regards to the First World War, the Japanese were invited to 
support Britain in uh, the Pacific uh, in August 1914. Japan was an allied power to the Entente powers, but never becomes one of the Entente powers. It is in an alliance um, with Britain and France and Russia, but really quite at arm's length. Not exactly the same as, as America's associate power status, um, but in a similar kind of territory. Warships were directed against uh, German Pacific raiders um, that were causing havoc uh, amongst British shipping in, in the Pacific. And the Japanese are obviously not acting out of pure altruism. No power in the First World War is, and all powers in the First World War had their own uh, agendas and ambitions. Uh, the Japanese wanted Germany's treaty ports and Germany's islands in the Pacific. And a deal is very quickly ironed out with the British, who aren't interested at all in islands in the Pacific and are happy to compromise over the question of German treaty ports. Japan's war in earnest with Germany really begins at the treaty port, the German treaty port of Tsingtao, now better known for its export beer. If you're ever wondering why it is in China, they brew beer at Tsingtao, which tastes rather like German Pilsner. Now you know. In September 1914, Japan landed a force at Tsingtao on the Shandong Peninsula. Japan was chiefly interested in the Shandong Peninsula for a number of reasons. Firstly, it is within striking distance of the capital, Beijing. Secondly, it is the nerve centre, or it was the nerve centre at the time, of uh, eastern China's uh, railway network. Control Shandong and you control all of that. And thirdly, it has immense spiritual importance in China. It was the birthplace of Chinese Confucianism, Taoism and Buddhism. Um, and was a, a place of, of immense uh, immense religious and spiritual value. Shandong um, became the scene of the only battle of the First World War to be fought on Chinese territory. The city of uh, Tingtao is surrounded by the Japanese and they laid siege to it, along with the help of the South Wales borderers, um, the British Army Regiment, the South Wales borderers, and some Sikh um, sepoy soldiers from Singapore. And with the help of a um, British and Japanese naval blockade, uh, the city fell two months later. The uh, arrogance of the Kaiser and his sort of racial prejudices uh, against uh, Japan were writ large here. Um, the, the Kaiser has all sorts of um, paranoid ideas about Chinese and Japanese people. Um, he encouraged um, Nicholas II to become involved in the uh, Russo-Japanese War, fearing that some uh, horrific uh, Mongol horde, I don't think he really understood the key cultural and uh, ethnic differences between Japanese and Chinese people per se, but, um, or you know, Mongol people either. But he, he viewed um, them all as being uh, inf an inferior threat to uh, European Christendom. And he said in uh, a letter to the commander of the garrison at Tingtao that he would rather see Berlin fall to the Russians than Tingtao fall to the Japanese. That, seeing a German defeated by a Japanese soldier, would have been too much to bear 
Well, unfortunately, this comes true for him. And the following year, having forced Germany completely out of China, um, and with the help of, of the British, Japan uh, turns its attention to the Chinese government. Knowing that the Europeans are now uh, fatally compromised in China because they're fighting a war between themselves and Europe, it gives Japan the perfect opportunity to try to extend its influence over China. Um, they present the Chinese government with 21 demands. Um, among these demands were a bid to grant Japan control over Chinese economy, uh, rights over Manchuria, and rights over policing the country. It was in effect to hand control of the entire country over to Japan. It's an outpouring of um, nationalist anger. At this point, obviously, China's been through a revolution in 1911, and there is a, a weak dictator um, struggling to maintain his authority over the country, Yuan Shikai, a former Qing general. And it's only really mass civilian protest, um, the people of China speaking up, that manages really to derail Japan's plans. Uh, the Japanese are um, able to institute instead 13 demands, which they enshrine in a treaty with uh, China that prevents some of the more onerous uh, economic and political um, demands from being inflicted on, on the Chinese. The British, for their part, look at the Japanese in an entirely different light, realising that uh, there's been a huge power grab in Asia and that the Japanese are trying to really supplant the British as the dominant power in China. And as a result, relations between the two powers cool considerably. The Americans, too, are uh, appalled at Japan's attempt at coup in China. The, in 1915, obviously, this doesn't come off very well. But in 1918, there's another attempt uh, to wrest power from uh, the Chinese uh, to control uh, the country. And this comes in the form of a bribe. Uh, the new warlord attempting, following the death of Yuan Shikai, is Duan Kiri, um, a military dictator, uh, or attempted military dictator of the Anhui clique, um, who is uh, heading the Bayang government. Uh, in Beijing. Really, China, you have to think of it as a kind of a, a series of feuding warlords um, struggling to control the country at this point. He's offered a series of loans to a Japanese businessman, Nishihara. Nishihara really is a front for the Japanese government, and the loans aren't business loans, they are loans to buy weapons, and they're not even loans, really, you have to think of them as bribes. The money is there really to buy the kind of influence in China that the Japanese had tried to buy with their 21 demands. Now, there's more to be said on this topic, not least the fact that when the October Revolution happens in Russia, uh, the Japanese have plans to invade Russia all the way up from the Pacific Ocean to Lake Baikal and create possibly a buffer state there, sort of like a, 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 a Russian version of Manchukuo that they made in uh, China, um, to uh, keep the old enemy at bay. And also, the legacy of everything from 1915 onwards, from the 21 demands through to the Nishihara loans, um, create a, a kind of a, a toxic draft for not just the Japanese and the Chinese to drink at the Paris Peace Conference, but also for Woodrow Wilson uh, as well, who was attempting to build the League of Nations and hope that he would be able to bring both the Chinese and the, the Japanese in 
And I'm going to talk about that on, in the little series I'm doing on the Paris Peace Conference. I haven't really picked that one up for a while, but I'll be back to that fairly soon. So check that out coming soon. Anyway, I hope you found this useful, and uh, do drop us a line if there's anything you need to ask. And you can get me at uh, nick underscore shapley at hotmail.com. Um, also, if you can give us a look on our Patreon page, that's, that'd be great. Um, that'd be good to... Uh, uh, hear from me there and give us a good review on iTunes if you've got a minute. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.